This episode of The Energy Pipeline is sponsored by Caterpillar Oil & Gas. Since the 1930s, Caterpillar has manufactured engines for drilling, production, well service, and gas compression. With more than 2,100 dealer locations worldwide, Caterpillar offers customers a dedicated support team to assist with their premier power solutions. The Energy Pipeline is your lifeline to all things oil and gas, to drill down deep into the issues impacting our industry. From the frack site to the future of sustainability, hear more about industry issues, tools, and resources to streamline and modernize the future of oil and gas. Welcome to the Energy Pipeline. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Energy Pipeline. It's me, your host, Jordan Yates, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Adriana, and a very special guest, Molly Detterman. Molly is the president of the Energy Workforce and Technology Council. Molly, we're so excited to have you here today. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. Adriana is going to kick us off with a few questions as we get to know you. Are you ready? Ready. Wonderful. (laughs) Adriana, let's get going. Let's get started. All right. Well, so Molly, just to get us started, we would like to know if you can provide us an overview of how the current workforce landscape within the oil and gas industry is at right now. Yeah. So I um, work for the Energy Workforce and Technology Uh, Council, and we are the National Trade Association for Energy Services and Equipment Companies. So a lot of what I'll speak to and know about is, you know, specific to the energy services and equipment companies that sector the oil and gas industry. Um, So like when I think about that workforce and the, you know, current landscape, um, I know that we represent more than 650,000 jobs um, just directly in the, US, in the U.S. And those jobs you know, require a myriad of skills. And there's things that you might think about, like traditionally to energy services, um, engineers and you know, welders, manufacturers. Um, but there's also you know, a lot of talent, especially up and coming in the digital space, um, and then you know, just providing those capabilities to fill the new energy roles. Um, but overall, all of the oil and gas jobs are really, they're great paying jobs that help their families thrive. And so it's a really great place to work. Yeah, oil and gas is something that pays very nicely. I remember when I was in college, like, I did an oil and gas internship and I was a mechanical engineering major and so were my friends, but they did more mechanical based ones. And my internship literally paid double. Like it's insane how well this industry pays. And the fact that you got paid as an intern um, (laughs) was great too. (laughs) Exactly. We are spoiled in this industry. I love it. Adriana, what is yeah. what do you got to ask next? So no, so just picking up on what you mentioned, Molly. You did mention that when you, when you said jobs, you mentioned technology, you mentioned engineering. Do you feel like the workforce is a little bit of everything, or how is that landscape looking like right now? 
I mean, it is a little bit of everything, but I think that you're seeing kind of the types of roles um, changing, like, and what people are recruiting for. It's not as heavily, I mean, they are still recruiting and engineering and all those traditional things, but there's a lot picking up in data science, um, applied technologies, and in those areas. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I love that there's so many options out there. Like it's yeah. cool because sometimes traditionally we just think oil and gas, oh, it's somebody working on a rig, but there's actually right. so many more layers to that that need to be there in place to make it work. It's true. Definitely good point. So yeah. Adriana, so, did you have a, another question? I, ha- I have another question. So just to following up on that. Um, in your experience, you know, what are some of the key factors contributing to that workforce gap that we have in the oil and gas industry? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the like top primary factor that um, I would point to is the negative rhetoric about the industry. Like, you know, y'all said, like, there's so much that people don't know about the industry, but not only do they not know about the industry, what they do know, a lot of it is not who we are and what we do. There's a lot of misconceptions about us and it makes it really Mm -hmm. difficult to recruit from outside of the industry, but it also makes it challenging to retain talent as well. Um, so if I had to point to just one thing, that would be the top, the top factor. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it, it kind of goes both ways because my brother-in-law is in this industry as well. And when he graduated with his mechanical degree, he realized, you know, there's not a lot of jobs right now in the oil and gas industry. Like, what do I do? And I told him, I was like, just do mechanical for a few years. And he's like, absolutely not. I love oil and gas. I went to school for this. Like I will be a petroleum engineer. And I I think it's funny that it can go both ways that the passion, whether it is for or against, I love that it is there and that it is such a hot topic. Absolutely. The people that are in the oil and gas industry are passionate about what we do. And there's a lot to be excited about. And so you meet a lot of people like your brother that um, feel, feel as excited as they do. And that's who we need to have be our advocates and talking about what we do. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. So that kind of naturally naturally leads us to our next question, which is what are the strategies and initiatives that you all at EWTC are implementing to promote the jobs in this industry and the outreach you're doing to attract talent to oil and gas? I saw on your website there were some cool videos that were well done, but beyond that, what is what is it you guys are doing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly advocating for the industry on behalf of us um, and talking about, you know, all of the great things that we provide is one thing, but it's also giving our companies um, the skills and the, um, the tools that they need, but also giving them the platform to be able to talk to each other um, and share what best practices are, you know, current trends in attracting talent so that they can um, be able to stay up to date and provide the most current, um, you know, opportunities to attract talent. So they, you know, they've done a lot together on upskilling and reskilling workers. Um, There's a lot that they're doing as well about, um, you know, 
when you're hiring candidates um, with the ability, like looking at those skills um, and not looking at the resume in the traditional ways that they have. And so they talk mm-hmm. about that and like what are different ways that we can um, attract talent. I remember it was probably uh, getting close to 10 years ago when our HR committee was talking about like performance reviews and doing ratings list <laughs> performance reviews. And I was like, what is this magic? Um, and now that's like what everybody does, right? But there had to be a company that was out there and willing to say, we've tried this and this is how it works and willing to share those best practices so that the other companies can go back and decide what they want to deploy within their organization. Um, but, you know, being out there and enabling our workforce to be able to be our advocates is really key um, as well. That's awesome. So I guess, has there been any examples that have stuck out to you personally that was just like, this was a really good, I guess, anecdote on how your organization helped somebody get a job or are you a little bit further out of the actual day-to-day operation? We're a little bit further out um, of the day-to-day, um, but I know over the years there's been initiatives that, um, you know, that we've done, like, um, there was a uh, military recruiting um, job fair that we did and, you know, and that helped specifically bring some people in um, and make those skills transferable that they, you know, learned in their service in the military absolutely directly applies um, to what they're going to use in the oil and gas industry. So we were able to partner with, um, you know, an organization that was, that's outplacing, um, you know, people that are transitioning out of service and connect them with our member companies. So, okay, Molly, I have another question for you. Um, Are there any specific efforts or programs that are fostering diversity and inclusion in the oil and gas workforce? Absolutely. Um, So we spearheaded a diversity study that we continue to invest in. Um, We did it the first time in 2018, and we do it every three years um, and have continued to expand that. And out of that diversity study, then our member companies come up with actionable recommendations uh, for our member companies that they're wanting to invest in their cultures. So some of the things that they talk about are like, investing in your and developing your employee value proposition, identifying new sources of talent to shape the future of the industry, focus on retention, so keeping women underserved populations, um, and amplifying advancement opportunities like through mentorship and sponsorship. Additionally, some of the things that um, we recommend are um, flexibility, not just for our office workers, um, because that's um, a lot easier to implement, but also for the field of manufacturing. Um, we also um, you know, talk about like fl- flexible return to work options. We're not just talking about parental leave, but we know that life happens. Mm-hmm. Um, parents need care. There's things that just happen in life and we need to be able to support our employees with flexibility to handle those moments. And that's what really makes you know, employees that are um, very loyal to their organizations and want to stay. That's, I know you that's mentioned a good point. <laughs> oh no, and you mentioned the word retention uh, when you answered this question. I think that is so important and key because people stay in the place where they feel 
not only included, but trained, they feel understood. You mentioned also people are parents. So having your programs look into this facet, because it's not the work work day to day, it's just the people's life and how this falls into, you know, keeping a reten- the retention for the people. Um, mm-hmm. And this definitely drives it to diversity and inclusion, right? It's a big part of it. Absolutely. And, you know, fortunately, the oil and gas industry has a really amazing track record of solving industry-wide challenges um, through, you know, collaboration, like I talked about best practice sharing. Um, and we did that with safety culture. Um, and so, you know, now, you know, an additional way that we need to do that is through DEI and having that same type of focus on it being part of the culture, making people feel included um, and feeling like they belong. When you guys are a part of that initiative, what does it actually look like? Because from my personal experience, um, you know, obviously I'm a woman in this industry and I've had days where I've gone on a rig and I look around and I'm literally the only girl there. And it's like nobody's fault but my own because I wanted to work that day, you know, and go up there. And sometimes it's kind of awkward because people look at you like, what are you doing here? And I'm curious, like, when it gets that granular, like, how do you guys at the EWTC interact with situations like that? Cause you guys are saying you want it to be diverse, but then you're also actually fostering it actively, like things like that. How are you involved? I think it's a lot of it is showing, um, from the top down the organizations, why it matters, mm-hmm. why it matters to their business. The, you know, we have a lot of numbers that we share with our executives on, the you know, more diverse, more inclusive companies have better returns. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking their language and you're showing how you know, much money is lost in turnover, voluntary <laughs> turnover, right? Then it, it makes a little bit more sense about, you know, why they should be investing in that. And it's just, it's the right thing to do. So, um, and we're constantly... How, like the how we do it, we're constantly focused on it. So like I mentioned, we do that diversity study every three years with our member companies. But in between those studies, we take those findings, we do workshops, and then we have a toolkit um, that has a maturity index so that companies can look and see where they are measured along this maturity index. And that then it has recommendations on how you can go and you know, get to the next level of maturity. So it's not just talking about why it's important, but how you, like where you are and how you can get there. I like it because it, it could foster a little healthy competition. Who's the most mature, who's got the best workplace. And Absolutely. I feel like that gets reflected in like Glassdoor and other hiring areas because I mean, people care about that stuff and not, not necessarily just diversity, but the other things around it, like you mentioned, um, time off for sickness or other non-conventional things to receive time off for like, that's kind of a big deal. It is. And that's what keeps, that's what keeps people around and not only around, but like being an advocate for your organization is those types of changes. And I think that the, you know, people, there are a lot of um, people and and leaders in the oil and gas industry that recognize that we can't do business as usual. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have to bring in the best and the best, the best and the brightest talent. And we have to bring in talent from outside of the industry. Um, And so in order to do that, 
we have to we have to be a place, a destination workplace. And we can be. Might require some change, but we can do it. <laughs> we got this. That's right. And I'm and I'm sure just being a business or a company, we all have or live in this bubble, right? So without the programs that you're mentioning, it's hard to know how you stack up in all these other items with other other companies that might be taking your talent away, right? And having some visibility to it will help you retain whoever you have or attract the people that you're trying to get. That's very interesting. That's right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something, I think, earlier about a bit of manufacturing automation. I've noticed in this industry, just because I have a foot in both oil and gas and manufacturing, that there has been a lot more automation creeping into the oil and gas world, such as automated rigs, robots on rigs, and a whole bunch of really exciting things that just woo, they make my brain excited. <laughs> I'm curious. I know I sound like such a nerd, but I'm curious, how has that affected you all from a recruiting standpoint? And what kinds of new talents has it attracted? Have Having this whole other sector basically piled on top of the oil and gas industry. Right. I mean, it definitely, it is exciting. It's created new job opportunities, but it's also given a lot of job opportunities for the existing workforce for upskilling for those that are interested in growing. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, charts a path for career development um, that didn't exist before. Um, because now there's these opportunities for the existing workforce. Um you know, I think there's a lot of advancements in the in technology. It keeps, and a lot of it is making the industry safer, which will also help, um, you know, retain and attract talent. Um, it's a, you know, it's a challenge um, as well because um, I think that it's going to require a large percentage of our workforce to, you know, go through some upskilling over the next five years. Um, but it's an opportunity. It's all about how we, you know, frame it um, for our existing workforce and um, and how we can bring in new talent. I wonder, like, on the shop floor, if there's some sort of the traditional oil and gas guys versus the new automation guys. And they're like, you know, what's up with all these electrical engineers entering the scene? Like, I, I wonder what it's actually like there because... I haven't been out on rigs or anything in years. So for me, I'm, I'm just curious, Adriana, have you noticed, I guess, in the field, any overlap of the, the more technology automation people coming in with the traditional oil and gas people? Have you seen any of that? I think there's, there's definitely an influx of the technology people coming in. Um, how the others feel about it. I, I don't get to see that side of things, but I think we've all seen it, right? Technology is everywhere. Technology is making everything a little better too. So we do need that support mm -hmm. of the people that have that knowledge to bring it in. I actually yeah, got to go on a tour of um, a cat uh, manufacturing facility recently and um, they were showing me the, you know, the automated welding, which was so cool. Um, and they were talking about like not now now that there's not a welder doing this, this is the other jobs that they are doing. Um, and so it wasn't displacing jobs. It was just changing jobs. Um, and it was more, you know, like checking the welding and looking at, you know, what had been done. Um, I also went on a, on a rig um, a few months ago that, you know, was um, a 
top of the line rig with all the technology and I got to go in the dog house and um, the driller was, I know it was very exciting, um, but the driller was, you know, showing me all the fancy buttons and tools. And um, I think, you know, my perception was, and now I was a visitor, but uh, my perception was that they were excited and they were proud of, you know, that they could, uh, you know, be a driller of the future. Yeah, those those are such cool stations because it's like, rather than having to actually move the pipe with their hands, they can control it with like, you know, an actual controller. And I think that's so cool. And also it's just a lot safer. Like you said, it really does foster the idea of safety as we are bringing this innovation in. And I think it's really cool that at EWTC, you're kind of in the middle of all of it. Like you get to see these initiatives happen. You get to watch the industry grow. And I'm proud of you guys because I just think you're doing a really good job. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Adriana, did you have another question? Yes, I do. Um, So Molly, how does the industry adapt to this evolving workforce needs? You know how we mentioned technology something new, there's changing demands, you know. Uh, what are you seeing when it comes to, you know, all these different factors, sustainability, renewable energy transitions, advancements in technology? How is that workforce adapting to all this? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's part of what we do a lot of our messaging around is that, you know, all the forecasts show global energy demand continuing to grow. And oil and gas continuing to be a really important part of that mix for a long time. Um, there's a lot of people in the world without access to energy driving those that long-term demand growth. Um, and they want to have the same quality of life that we do. Um, and so we want to operate more efficiently while continuing to meet the ever-growing demand um, And our view is that the energy services and technology sector, the companies that know how to meet that demand at scale, and then men and women that are employed by the industry are helping meet those needs and solve complex challenges. So it's really, and like, you know, to the point of like, it is so exciting to be in a part of this workforce. That's why. That's beautiful. I love when people, I, I feel like it's come up a few times on this podcast and they'll mention something along the lines of, you know, it's not standard to have electricity and all these things that we have here. And there's so many places trying to get there. And the better we do to foster it here and get safer, more efficient practices, the faster we can help them into places where they don't have it. So I love that you brought that up because every time someone does, it just gives me the warm and fuzzies. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We should be proud. We should be happy about what we're doing. It's it's awesome. So I have a question about your involvement with educational institutions. So yeah. for me, when I was in college and I went to the School of Engineering at Texas Tech, I loved the job fair. They crushed it, killed it every time. It was 200 plus engineering companies, so many oil and gas, and they just did so amazing to where you go in and it feels like you're in this magical wonderland of opportunity. I wonder from your perspective, what you all are doing to be a part of those kinds of events, institutions, and places where you're connecting educational institutions to actual workforce opportunities. Absolutely. And that is awesome that you had that super positive experience and that you were there. But you know, you had the you know, that STEM background. 
um, and that exposure to the oil and gas industry um, to get you there. And you were obviously in the great state of Texas, um, which helps. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw. But... Um, or I shouldn't say, but, and, um, you know, we really believe that we need to focus on energy education, STEM education as early as possible, like elementary school level, um, so that we don't lose people before it's too late, um, that they are not turned off entirely to working in the energy industry and um, doing a lot of education. So there's a lot of great programs out there. And, you know, we try to help um, bridge the gap on, you know, connecting our member companies with those um, and making sure that there are resources available, you know, not only for college, um, but also um, colleges that we might not traditionally have gone to, mm-hmm. um, and then also at high school, middle school, even elementary school level, um, and making sure that all of the levels of education are covered in addition to vocational schools. So um, one of the things that we have is we have a, um, a scholarship program that is for our member company dependents, and it's anything after high school. Um, the interesting thing about it is that it doesn't have to be um, for you know somebody who's going into the oil and gas industry. Um, mm-hmm. As long as they work for one of our member company employees, um, we want to help them get you know the education that they want. I mean, even if they got, say, a liberal arts degree, but they're like an oil and gas institution put me through this, it still has that positive, uh, I guess, butterfly effect, if you will, of them enjoying it. I I like that a lot. I know if um, the oil and gas industry had helped me get my journalism degree, I surely (laughs) would have been been more inclined to go straight there instead of like having some stats by nonprofit work first. It, it worked out the way it needed to. Absolutely. <laughs> and Jordan, since you mentioned recruiting, I'm just curious to know from Molly, um, is the Energy Workforce and Technology Council, uh, is the audience mostly, you know, people that currently have an oil and gas job in big companies, or are you also targeting and taking a look at what, you know, students are thinking? What's the mix in, in your target audience for all these great initiatives you have? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's, all of the above. So the people that work with us directly are, you know, energy services and equipment companies. And um, primarily kind of a more executive level. But the messaging and the tools that we provide are for all of the employees at those organizations. But then the advocacy work that we do is... um, to lawmakers, regulators, um, members of Congress, and you know, and through media, um, the public. Uh, I hate to say the general public because like there's no no such thing. Gen pop. <laughs> the <laughs> but but um, you know, and our focus, and because um, that's a lot of people, that's a lot of audiences. But our remit is to you know promote and advocate for energy services and equipment companies. So that's, you know, everything that we do and all the messaging that we do is strictly focused there. And so that, you know, kind of enables us to really unify our voice um, with all of our, we have over 300 member companies, with all those member companies um, to be able to make as big of an impact as possible. It's a very wide That's reach. That's awesome. That must be 
Yeah, that must be difficult having to send such a large message to such a non, I guess, niche group because then you have to tailor it to where everyone can hear it and accept it and bring it in. Do you do you have to like break up your messages per who you target? For sure. Absolutely. Different messages for different audiences. But I will say there are themes that rise across and are used for all of those messages. And a lot of the messages... Um, you know, our, the talking points that we have um, for our workforce um, resonates well with um, the general public as well. Um, so when we're talking about, you know, the economic benefits, the jobs that are provided, when we're talking about energy security, especially, you know, w with what um, happened last or started last year, I should say, in Russia invading Ukraine and how that brought the geopolitical geopolitical issues to the forefront that really um, brought energy security to a, a forefront that it just hadn't been at in a while. Um, so people understand how energy plays a role in national security. Yeah, I think it kind of bursted our bubble in the fact of how important it is to have that, that understanding at the least now that we've seen all these different political events unfolding. So I think mm -hmm. it's interesting that you guys are on that, you know, boat of awareness. Uh, as, as we're getting towards the end, I do have a question on sort of like real actionable items. And I want to ask it in like two sections. So okay. the first question I have is, advice or like specific recommendations if there's say a CEO of a company that wants to work on, you know, recruitment and wants to utilize EWTC, how do they go about doing that? Well, um, first they need to be a member <laughs> and they should sign be. up, <laughs> sign up, sign up and be a member. Um, no, I mean, that, you know, the companies that are involved with us, um, the ones that get the most out of their membership are the companies that have people involved in committees mm -hmm. and that are involved in setting the agendas for what we are doing as an organization. Um, you know, if you just join and you don't get involved, you're not going to get a lot out of it. So we like to have engaged members who are vocal and active and care about making the industry a better place. Well, that sounds like a fun organization to join. If I ever am a CEO of an energy company, I'm in. <laughs> in. <laughs> Absolutely. So on the flip side, if there is somebody who's listening and is wanting to find a job utilizing you all, how is that pathway? How does that look? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that our member companies are great places. They're a great place to work. Um, mm -hmm. They have a lot of career opportunities um, across the board, um, and you know we're happy to make those connections. Um, I think, like we kind of talked about earlier, um, this sector is solving a lot of complex challenges, and we think that you should be a part of it, and we're happy to make those connections. Amazing. I can think of a lot of people who would love to utilize you all. So I'm about to start evangelizing EWTC and telling all my friends and family that they need to go look through you guys to find a job. Um, I think we're just about to the end. We have started this new segment called The Drill Down, which is basically just a one to two sentence recap on what you think the most important point is that we've made today. So Molly, is there something that you want to leave us with? and the drill down with? Sure. 
in the drill down bit, um, I would like to leave with that energy services companies are the companies that can provide energy at scale and energy that is affordable, reliable, and it is a great place to work. So we hope that you will check us out and give our companies a chance. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Adriana, do you have any last comments for today? No, thanks, Molly, for joining us today. I think it was very exciting to hear about having companies like this, putting all of the oil and gas companies together to get best practices, all these other areas with laws and all of that. So thanks for joining us. And I learned a lot today. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Energy Pipeline. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and I will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Come back next week for another episode of the Energy Pipeline, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.